Seasons of Change, a retreat guide on spiritual growth. Written and presented by Father John Bartunik, LC. Introduction. In the first centuries of Christianity, you had to be careful about publicly referring to people as Christians. Christianity was illegal in the Roman Empire until around the year 313 AD. If you let slip that so-and-so was a Christian, therefore, that person could easily be rounded up in the next wave of persecution, or even turned into the authorities by an enemy or a rival. So our ancestors in the church came up with a code word to refer to those who shared the faith. They called each other fellow pilgrims. It's a good phrase, an accurate one. As Christians, we know that our life on earth is a purposeful journey guided by God's providence. This journey takes us through many stages, many seasons of spiritual growth that the Lord uses to prepare us for our final destination, the Father's house in heaven. Conceiving of life in this way contrasts sharply with our materialistic, consumerist culture that assumes we can create heaven on earth. And yet this countercultural vision of life's true character makes a profound and profoundly positive difference in our day-to-day -day experience if we truly understand how this pilgrimage works. That's what this retreat guide on spiritual growth will delve into. The first meditation will explore the springtimes of our Christian journey. The second meditation will explore its summers. And the conference will examine its autumns and winters, those times of painful transition, sometimes referred to as the dark night of the soul. Let's begin by quieting our hearts and asking the Lord for all the graces we need. Especially, let's ask for new insights and fresh encouragement as we reflect on what God has revealed about the changing seasons of spiritual growth. First Meditation Spring Times of Spiritual Growth Introduction Spring is a season of new birth, of vitality, of the bursting forth of beautiful blossoms and the planting of new seeds. In the spiritual life, this can take many forms. We may, for example, go on a spiritual retreat during which God showers us with new insights and new experiences of His goodness and His grace. A retreat like that can become the beginning of a new period in the unfolding of our relationship with God. A new beginning may also come from external circumstances. When young people get married, for example, or when a couple has their first child, or when a young man or woman finally decides to take that definitive step into seminary or consecrated life. Dramatic, life-changing moments like these are usually accompanied by an outpouring or a blossoming of spiritual energy and vitality, constituting a real springtime for the soul. New beginnings can also come in unpredictable ways, simply through the creative extravagance of our Lord, who is not restricted by predetermined patterns. As the Catechism reminds us, at every time and in every place, God draws close to man. He calls man to seek him, to know him, to love him with all his strength. God never ceases to draw man to himself. How should we respond to these new beginnings, these springtimes for the soul? 
What can we do to make sure that the blossoms they inspire and the seeds they plant will be fertile and bear the fruit that God wants them to? To answer those questions, we need to look briefly at a couple passages from the Gospels. Our Lord's first disciples experienced a spiritual springtime after they went out on their first missionary journey. Jesus sent 72 disciples out to every town and place he intended to visit, instructing them to preach the good news, cure the sick, cast out demons, and otherwise extend the kingdom and the peace of God. When these disciples returned, they were filled with joy and amazement. The Gospel tells us that the 72 returned rejoicing and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us because of your name. They had experienced God's grace working in them and through them in a way they had never experienced it before, in a way they had never imagined could be possible. It truly was a new beginning, a blossoming of new spiritual experiences, the planting of new seeds in their relationship with God. It was springtime for their souls. And Jesus guides them in how to respond to that springtime. In the first place, he teaches them, by his own example, to welcome this experience with joyful, worshipful gratitude. St. Luke describes Jesus' reaction to his disciples' return like this. At that very moment, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I give you praise, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to the childlike. Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. Whenever God grants us a new beginning, we too should welcome it with joy and humble gratitude. God's graces are always gifts that flow from His love and His wisdom. We don't really deserve those gifts, strictly speaking, but they will bear fruit in our lives if we accept them joyfully, humbly, and gratefully. But Jesus also issues a small warning to His excited and enthusiastic disciples. St. Luke records it like this, Nevertheless, do not rejoice because the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven. These first Christian missionaries were so struck by the success of their efforts to preach the gospel and roll back the power of the devil that they were vulnerable to the temptation of spiritual pride. We too can face that temptation in our own spiritual springs. We can be so dazzled by the gifts God gives us, the insights, the consolations, the apostolic successes, that we forget about the purpose of those gifts, to bring us and others into a deeper relationship with the giver himself. We can become so enamored of the flowers that we cling to the petals instead of letting them fall so that the fruit can grow. In times of enthusiasm and fresh spiritual energy, we have to intentionally keep the eternal perspective in mind. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Gratitude and perspective are two healthy responses to spiritual springtimes. But the Gospels point us to another response as well. We find it in the unforgettable encounter between Jesus and Zacchaeus, the notorious chief tax collector in the town of Jericho. In New Testament times, Faithful Jewish people looked down upon tax collectors because they collaborated closely with the foreign rulers and occupiers of the Holy Land, the Romans. They also tended to cheat their fellow Jews 
by charging more taxes than were necessary and keeping the extra for themselves. And so the crowds of onlookers were surprised and somewhat scandalized when Jesus ran into Zacchaeus, a short man who had actually climbed a tree to be able to see Jesus as he passed through the town, and then invited himself over to the tax collector's house for lunch. This encounter became a powerful springtime for Zacchaeus. The Gospels don't give us any details about what actually transpired during his lunch with the Lord, but they clearly indicate that this outcast, corrupt tax collector had a profound experience of God's love that became for him a new spiritual beginning, a new springtime for his soul. And St. Luke points out how Zacchaeus responded to it. Let's read the whole account of this life-changing encounter. Now a man there named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and also a wealthy man, was seeking to see who Jesus was. But he could not see him because of the crowd, for he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When he reached the place, Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down quickly, for today I must stay at your house. And he came down quickly and received him with joy. When they all saw this, they began to grumble, saying, He has gone to stay at the house of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I shall give to the poor, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I shall repay it four times over. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a descendant of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. Zacchaeus welcomed this experience with humility and gratitude, but he also provided the seeds Jesus was planting with a rich soil, the soil of generosity. He responded to God's surprising graces by changing his life, by leaving behind his selfishness and greed. He didn't just take the love God offered him. He also generously offered his own love in return. In the next meditation, we will look at spiritual summers. But for now, we may want to take some time to reflect prayerfully on the gratitude, perspective, and generosity that help the blossoms and seeds of our spiritual springtimes achieve their true purpose. The following questions and quotations may help your meditation. Questions for personal reflection or group discussion. When have I experienced a spiritual springtime? Remember those experiences and thank God for them. How often do I rejoice that my name is written in heaven? What kinds of things do I usually rejoice in and thank God for? What does the Lord have to say to me about that? When have I been most generous with God? What happened as a result? Three quotations to aid your meditation. St. John Paul II, 
Novo Millennio Innuente, number 38. We shall be observing an essential principle of the Christian view of life, the primacy of grace. There is a temptation which perennially besets every spiritual journey and pastoral work, that of thinking that the results depend on our ability to act and to plan. God, of course, asks us really to cooperate with His grace and therefore invites us to invest all our resources of intelligence and energy in serving the cause of the kingdom. But it is fatal to forget that without Christ, we can do nothing. It is prayer which roots us in this truth. It constantly reminds us of the primacy of Christ and in union with Him, the primacy of the interior life and of holiness. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. The 72 returned rejoicing and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us because of your name. Jesus said, I have observed Satan fall like lightning from the sky. Behold, I have given you the power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and upon the full force of the enemy and nothing will harm you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice because the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven. At that very moment, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I give you praise, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to the childlike. Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He came to Jericho and intended to pass through the town. Now a man there named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and also a wealthy man, was seeking to see who Jesus was. But he could not see him because of the crowd, for he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When he reached the place, Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down quickly, for today I must stay at your house. And he came down quickly and received him with joy. When they all saw this, they began to grumble, saying, He has gone to stay at the house of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I shall give to the poor. And if I have exhorted anything from anyone, I will repay it four times over. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a descendant of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. Second Meditation, The Long Days of Spiritual Summer After spring comes summer. The flowers of spring's blossoms fall to the ground, the new seeds are buried in the soil, and the hard work of patient care and cultivation gets underway. Spiritual summers are similar. They are seasons in which we work hard to help the new beginnings and fresh graces of our spiritual springtimes to germinate 
grow, and produce their fruits in our souls. St. Paul included a memorable list of these fruits in his letter to the Galatians. He mentioned nine of them, and he labeled them the fruits of the Spirit. Here they are. In contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When God sends us his grace and his blessings in spiritual springtimes, it's because he wants them to grow into those spiritual fruits. Now, do that line again. When God sends us his grace and his blessings in spiritual springtimes, it's because he wants them to grow into those spiritual fruits. He wants us to experience, as Jesus himself put it, a more abundant life. Yet fruit takes time to develop. The fields are planted in the spring, but they have to be attentively cared for throughout the summer in order to yield their abundant harvest in the autumn. And that applies to our spiritual lives as well. God may give us new insights and fresh strength during a retreat, but we have to intentionally cultivate those insights and put that strength to work if we want them to bear lasting fruit in our souls. Here again, St. Paul has some useful observations. In his first letter to the Corinthians, he described this mysterious partnership between God's grace, which comes to us as a pure gift, and our need to respond to it, to cultivate it. He writes, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me has not been ineffective. Indeed, I have toiled harder than all of them. Not I, however, but the grace of God that is with me. For farmers, this cultivation of the new life that blossomed forth in springtime includes watering and weeding and fertilizing, among other things. What does it look like for us during our spiritual summers? How do we continue to grow spiritually as we look forward to a bounteous autumn harvest? Two key virtues for this season of growth are patience and perseverance. St. James, in his New Testament letter to all Christians, shows how the comparison between the patience of a farmer and the patience of a Christian is more than mere poetry. He discusses the proper attitude towards the coming of the Lord, which he means primarily as our Lord's return at the end of history, but which we can also apply to his mysterious rhythms of grace throughout our earthly pilgrimage. He writes, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You too must be patient. Make your hearts firm because the coming of the Lord is at hand. Imagine a farmer standing in his fields in early summer. Imagine him becoming impatient and frustrated because the harvest hasn't arrived yet. Imagine him trying to hurry things up by frenetically working late hours. Imagine him yelling at the crops, telling them to grow faster. It's an absurd image, laughable, and even a little sad. And yet, when it comes to the spiritual life, that's often exactly what we do. Instead of simply focusing on what God is asking us day by day, following the commandments, lovingly fulfilling the duties of our state in life, reaching out to serve our neighbors through the works of mercy. Instead of patiently being content with God's will for us each day, 
We sometimes try to force ourselves into holiness overnight. And yet, patient, steady faithfulness to life's seemingly humdrum demands is a much more effective and humble and sane and fruitful way to spend our spiritual summers. If patience implies steadiness in the ordinary, less dramatic, Nazareth-like times, perseverance implies steadiness and faithfulness when things get tough. This, too, is a virtue for summertime. The word perseverance comes from a combination of two Latin words, per, meaning through, and severus, meaning harsh, where we get the English word severe. Our spiritual summers usually involve continuing to cultivate and protect the virtues planted during our spiritual springs, even through the spiritual equivalent of storms, droughts, floods, and other challenging circumstances. Farmers have to weather those realities literally. As regards our spiritual life, they take different forms, like distraction, discouragement, peer pressure, and any other intense temptations to abandon the good resolutions and plans made in response to the enlivening graces of spring. Jesus himself praised the virtue of perseverance when he referred to all the challenges that his followers will have to face throughout the history of the church. He promised us that the one who perseveres to the end will be saved. He also warned us that storms will inevitably come. We can't avoid them. And he explained that only by living in obedience to his will, in faithfulness to his word and his grace that come to us in springtime, can we endure them. To illustrate this point, he used one of his most memorable parables. Here's how St. Matthew recorded it. Everyone who listens to these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell. The floods came, and the winds blew and buffeted the house. But it did not collapse. It had been set solidly on rock. And everyone who listens to these words of mine but does not act on them will be like a fool who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and buffeted the house, and it collapsed and was completely ruined. Patience and perseverance are the virtues of our spiritual summers, the building blocks of that rock-solid foundation that allows springtime's promises and hopes to mature into autumn's abundant harvest. In the conference, we will dig a little bit more into those spiritual autumns, as well as our spiritual winters. But for now, take some time to prayerfully reflect on the meaning of our spiritual summers and on how to live them well. The following questions and quotations may help your meditation. Questions for personal reflection or group discussion. Take some time to reflect on how a greater presence of the fruit of the Spirit would impact your life and stir up a desire to experience them more fully. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Galatians chapter 5 verses 22. How much is it worth to you to patiently persevere through summer in order to enjoy that kind of harvest?
What tries your patience the most? Speak to the Lord about that and ask Him for the strength and guidance in responding to that challenge. What type of storms and floods tend to impede your spiritual growth most frequently? What would the virtue of perseverance look like in the face of them? Three quotations to aid your meditation. James chapter five, verses seven through eight. Be patient therefore brothers, until the coming of the Lord See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You too must be patient. Make your hearts firm, because the coming of the Lord is at hand. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard, Study her ways and learn wisdom. For though she has no chief, no commander or ruler, she procures her food in the summer, stores up her provisions in the harvest. How long, O sluggard, will you lie there? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest. Then poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like a brigand. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. There is an appointed time for everything, a time for every affair under the heavens, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot the plant, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace, and a time to be far from embraces, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to rend, and a time to sow, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. Conference, stages of seasons, autumns, and winters. In the meditations for this retreat guide, we talked about the special characteristics of our spiritual springs and summers, and the virtues that help us live them well, so that they truly become seasons of positive change, of spiritual growth. It remains for us to reflect on spiritual autumns and spiritual winters, and that's what we will do in this conference. But first, we need to address a question that has been hovering in the background throughout this retreat guide. We have been talking about spiritual growth at great length, but we haven't once referred to the traditional Catholic understanding of the three stages of that growth. The purgative stage, the illuminative stage, and the unitive stage. These are extremely useful categories developed and explained in great detail 
in most works of spiritual theology. They give us a 10,000-foot view of the spiritual journey, pointing out how we have to go through a stage of purification from sin and sinful attachments, that's the purgative stage, in order to prepare our minds and our hearts to receive graces of light and strength that really transform us, the illuminative stage. This transformation makes it possible for us to enter into a true and ever-deepening union with God, what some spiritual writers describe as a spiritual marriage, the unitive stage. Most explanations of these three stages describe what sin and temptation looks like in each stage, as well as how prayer changes as we move through them and how virtue develops. The advantage of this traditional explication of spiritual growth is its simplicity, its clarity, and its linearity. It shows we are going somewhere. We are moving forward along a path of growth. And yet, the actual experience of most spiritual pilgrims feels more cyclical than linear. We truly do make progress, but it happens by following seasonal rhythms. Jesus often described his kingdom by comparing it to seeds and plants, which alludes to this experience. A tree, for example, really does grow to maturity by passing through stages of being a sprout, a seedling, a sapling, and finally a mature tree. Just as we truly can pass through the purgative and illuminative stages in order to enter the unitive stage. But in the life cycle of that tree, the experience of growth isn't so linear. Rather, it's seasonal. The seedling goes through a series of springs and summers and autumns and winters until it becomes a sapling. And the sapling in turn weathers another long series of seasons until it reaches maturity. Our spiritual growth is similar. Whether we find ourselves in the purgative, illuminative, or unitive stage, our ongoing growth depends upon how we respond to the challenges and opportunities of the seasons as they providentially circle back around again and again and again. It is true that we experience each season's challenges and opportunities differently, depending on whether we find ourselves, for example, in the purgative or the illuminative stage of the spiritual life, and that's why it's important to study and understand at least the basics of that description of spiritual progress. But it is also absolutely essential to understand the changing seasonal rhythms of our journey so that we don't get stuck thinking that we're supposed to be in a perpetual summer or a perpetual winter. That could cause us to resist the changing circumstances through which God wants to lead us. In other words, we could become attached to one season instead of welcoming the graces of every season the Lord sends us. A tree may live through a hundred summers. And those summers share some characteristics, even while the tree is a little bit different in each one of them. Similarly, we may go through dozens of spiritual summers as we make our way to spiritual maturity. Repeating the season doesn't necessarily mean we aren't making progress. On the contrary, as the changing seasons continue to cycle around us, we just keep growing. Although it is useful to note, that in the spiritual life, the length of a season is unpredictable. A spiritual spring could last two weeks or two years, and a spiritual winter could last a month or a decade.
Knowing that our spiritual growth happens simultaneously in these two ways, linear progress through the purgative, illuminative, and unitive stages, and cyclical change through the experience of different types of spiritual seasons, can bring us interior peace and stability as we keep moving forward in the pilgrimage of Christian living. So what do our spiritual autumns and winters look like, and how are we to respond to their challenges and opportunities? Autumn, like spring, is a season of transition. But where spring was filled with the bright light and intoxicating sense of hope and promise, autumn brings the actual harvest. There are times in our spiritual lives where God allows us to experience, to recognize, and to feel that we have grown. We may suddenly notice that an old vice no longer holds us so firmly in its grip, or an old temptation no longer knocks us off balance so easily. We may find ourselves looking forward to our times of prayer, while getting that time alone with God used to feel like a chore, an impossibility, or a trip to purgatory. We may experience greater clarity and certainty in making difficult decisions, whether as regards ourselves or people who come to us for advice. We may find our interior peace and faith-filled joy being firmer and steadier in spite of contrary circumstances and painful sufferings. These are experiences of the harvest. These are the mature fruits of virtue developed through long summers of patience and perseverance under the wise guidance and care of the Holy Spirit. We should rejoice when we taste these fruits, giving praise to God, thanking Him, and letting the experience bolster our confidence and our trust in the goodness and power of God and of His providence. But autumn isn't only a season of harvest. It's also a season of detachment. The brilliant colors of autumn foliage only happen because the leaves are preparing to release their grip on the branches. They shut down the production of chlorophyll, the chemical that makes them green during summer, as the days get shorter and the temperature gets cooler. Their most glorious beauty, literally their true colors, shine out as they release and detach. Here, too, is a lesson for our spiritual lives. God often asks us to give things up, even beyond habitual sins and disordered attachments, in order to make room for us to receive new and better gifts. We may have to release a treasured hope or dream, for example, or to detach ourselves from a familiar and comfortable relationship or way of doing things in order to discover and embrace a deeper identity in Christ. Jesus discussed this law of renunciation and detachment on various occasions. Here is how he put it in Luke chapter 9. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What profit is there for one to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit himself? And here is how he put it in a conversation with his disciples after the rich young man refused to give up his riches in order to follow Jesus. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for the sake of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life.
It is not always easy to know when God is inviting us to release something. But the invitation often comes soon after a harvest, when we are enjoying the fruits of spiritual labor. Harvest and detachment. A motive for greater trust and an invitation to greater trust. These are the marks of our spiritual autumns. Finally, we must turn briefly to the winter season. Winter is a mystery, a season when life seems in so many ways to have disappeared, though in truth a new springtime is being prepared in the depths of the soil beneath the snow, ice, and frozen ground. The earth actually renews itself, chemically speaking, during winter, replenishing its nutrients and getting ready for a new season of growth even when the landscape appears hopelessly barren. The mark of a spiritual winter, reflecting that apparent contradiction, is disorientation. Spiritual winters are seasons when we feel a disorienting absence of God, or when spiritual disciplines and activities that used to help us have become barren and lifeless, or when our faith, hope, and love appear to be devoid of all color vitality, and energy. In such a season, our lives can even seem to have lost their meaning, their fruitfulness, altogether. Winters are not only disorienting, they are also dark. We cannot see God, ourselves, or the world as clearly as we did before. We are filled with uncertainty and confusion, sometimes hidden deep inside our hearts and inexplicable to others. Famous phrases like, the dark night of the soul and the dark night of the spirit hint at the pain and suffering caused by the disorientation of a spiritual winter. How to respond to these challenges? A spiritual winter is an invitation to sheer faith, to naked trust. In winter, God works in our souls without our understanding or even feeling it. Our cooperation consists simply in continued trust continued faith. As King David put it in what is perhaps his most famous psalm, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. God is there, though we can't see him, and we can't even feel him. We can only sense his rod and his staff, the duties of our state in life, and the truths of the gospel continuing to nudge us along. The central mystery of our entire Christian religion calls us to exercise faith and trust during these winter seasons, knowing that spring will come, because God is faithful. Jesus, dying on the cross on Good Friday, rejected and humiliated and defeated, abandoned and agonizing and broken, is the iconic image of a spiritual winter absolute disorientation. And yet, Easter Sunday followed soon after. In our spiritual winters, perhaps, we are closer to our Lord than in any other season. And we give Him more glory and spread more grace to others when we trust Him then, continuing to walk through that dark valley however long it may take. Then, truly, we can say with all our heart and soul, I believe in you, my Lord. That sheer act of faith deepens our union with God 
in ways that can happen in no other season. And that union is the source of our true and lasting happiness and everlasting fruitfulness. That's why the Lord permits, and at times even sends, spiritual winters. Spring, summer, autumn, and winter. Seasons of change. Seasons filled with challenges and opportunities. Seasons designed by our infinitely wise and loving God to be seasons of spiritual growth. Take some time now to go over the following personal questionnaire, which is designed to help you apply these Christian truths to your relationship with Christ. Personal Questionnaire In what ways have I experienced a spiritual harvest? Where have I seen spiritual progress in my life? Thank God for that. Enjoy it. When has God asked me to give something up? What was that experience like? Is there perhaps something God is asking me to give up right now? Talk to the Lord about that. What season does my relationship with God seem to be in right now? Spring, summer, autumn or winter? What can I do to live this season wisely? What season does each of my most important human relationships, spouse, children, parents, seem to be in now? What can I do to live each of those seasons wisely? Read the following quotation from Pope Francis's first encyclical letter, The Light of Faith. How does it shed light on the meaning of our spiritual winters? Christians know that suffering cannot be eliminated, yet it can have meaning and become an act of love and entrustment into the hands of God, who does not abandon us. In this way, it can serve as a moment of growth in faith and love. By contemplating Christ's union with the Father even at the height of his sufferings on the cross, Christians learn to share in the same gaze of Jesus. Even death is illumined and can be experienced as the ultimate call to faith, the ultimate go forth from your land, the ultimate come spoken by the Father to whom we abandon ourselves in the confidence that he will keep us steadfast even in our final passage. Lumen Fidei, number 56. For further reading, The Fulfillment of All Desire by Ralph Martin, Spiritual Guidelines for Soul Seeking God by Father Basil Maturin. When God is silent, 
by Archbishop Luis M. Martinez. Spring Meditations, Summer Meditations, Autumn Meditations, Winter Meditations by Father John Batunic, L.C. If you like this retreat, please help support future retreat guides by making a donation at rcspirituality.org. Retreat guides are a service of Regnum Christi, regnumchristi.org. Retreat guides are produced by Coronation, coronationmedia.com.